mentioned this at New Year's Eve service, uh, which had just happened, but of our two pastors in India, <clears throat> uh, Santosh was expecting the baby. Ruby was uh, getting very close, and she had the baby, I think, Sunday night, uh, if that sounds right, a little baby boy. And so, yes, I did come up with a name for the baby. So, so some of you that don't know, you're new around here, we have two pastors in India that we, we pay to be pastors. They planted a church, we built the building, all this stuff. And uh, when we were talking about his baby being born, we asked him what he was going to name it, and he said that I am the man of God, I must name his baby. I know, a little overwhelming. So uh, we did come up with a name <clears throat> for his baby. So, all right, if you'll turn... <laughs> hey. <laughs> Uh, we, we named him uh, Devaj, um, D-E-V-A-J, and, and, and Santosh doesn't have a last name, so his name's going to be Devaj Santosh, and Devaj means that God has uh, given this gift, that it, this is a God-given gift, and it's a, it's a Hindi name uh, with Christian um, foundation to it, so we're excited about that, and we, and we had a little picture of the baby, and I was supposed to send it up here and make sure they got in the computer, and I didn't do that. And so we'll show you next week. We'll show you a picture of the little boy. He wasn't doing really well when he got when he was born. Um, it was a little. They thought maybe he had an infection in his uh, body, maybe even his brain. So they were doing some stuff, and but they he came home um, a couple of days ago or yesterday or something like that, and he's doing a lot better. And and uh, we're still continuing to pray for him. So. Um, another thing that we want to pray about with our with our two pastors, Josiah, our other pastor, his father was very elderly, and uh, he passed away this week, and so he went back to his hometown to um, be a part of the funeral, and also his his mother is is uh, quite elderly too, and so he's he's taking care of them, and they'll be back up to Rampart in a, in a few weeks, and so continue to pray for them. Josiah's family were were all Christians. His father was a Christian, and so you know th- there is that. Um, that confidence that he's in heaven, and so it's it's not the same. Santosh's family, none of them are, are Christians or all Hindus, and so uh, you know when you're praying for our two pastors and you're getting all the the information and stuff, think about those kind of things. Um, his family he wants to see his family get saved, uh, obviously, and and Ruby, him and Ruby are saved, and they're going to be bringing the baby up to Ramper Hut soon, and as soon as she gets um, uh, travel worthy, <clears throat> so. I don't know what that means, but uh, um, continue to pray for a bunch of uh, guys in our church. A lot of things are going on. John Hajak was in first service. He is, uh, he's been, he's had a rough year. He's had, definitely had a rough couple months. He's been in and out of the hospital. Um, he has, uh, his liver is failing. And, uh, and so he was in the hospital literally over the last month, probably in and out of the hospital three or four times. And, uh, and they're saying his liver is just shutting down. And uh, this is not looking good. There, there. He's, he's, um, he was in rehab, um, and then he's home, and they've brought hospice in. And uh, but we're still praying and still fighting for this. And so continue to pray uh, for for John and uh, Diane with all of this. And uh, that we just got a bunch of needs going on. Dale Beggs had surgery this week on his neck, uh, very similar to what uh, Mishi had. She had surgery on her spine last week, and so or two weeks ago, and so. Just a lot of needs like that. Harry, I think Harry saw Harry here. We're still praying for these things. Uh, Keith, uh, we're still praying for God to do stuff. He, God's a big God, and we know he can. And so our responsibility is just continue to pray and believe and trust. And, and when you feel like 
uh, giving up, you, you pray harder, and you pray more, and you stay focused, and you do all those kind of things. So, so I want to I want to talk about um, <clears throat> New Year's. Uh, this is we're we're almost done with 2018. I, I know for some of you guys that are younger, this this I'm getting to the stage of life now where I recognize major transitions of life that there have been a lot of water under the bridge and things that happen. And I and I was thinking about this. Uh, actually right before Christmas, because of some of the things you're dealing with Christmas and Christmas gifts. And, and um, you know, I, I am 48 years old. I remember life before Internet. I remember life before cell phones and uh, those kind of things. I remember that. I, 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 I was talking to my kids about this a few weeks ago, that the idea, I remember when people first started talking about video conferencing and how I thought to myself, there's no way you could do that. It's not possible. Why are we even talking? This isn't Star Trek. And that's how I, t- that's how I talk to my, my new granddaughter every week is through um, Skype. I don't know how we lived before all of this kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I love it. I, I, I remember when Lynn and I f- were, we had just first few years we were married, and uh, we would talk to her parents in Africa over, I guess it was Skype, was it Skype or something similar to that. We would see, we would see, but it would be like, you know, Max Headroom. Okay, I just, you guys don't have a clue what I, <laughs> you got, anybody remember Max Headroom? You know what I'm talking about? You'll have to look it up. So, <clears throat> um, but there's this, there's this thing, this is, we're about to be in 2019. That is, that's crazy to me. 2020 was like the year you know, everything, the whole world was going to be over. We're going to be flying around in cars, all this kind of stuff, you know, the jets and so on. I remember that kind of thinking that by 2020, back in the 1900s, uh, that's how they used to say the future in the, by the year 2020, you know, that kind of thing. Well, there's some natural transitions that happen with New Year's, and, and transitions can be very positive in our life. They really can. So let me ask this question. How many of you are going to stay up till midnight um, new uh, for to see the new year in. You're going to when when 1201 comes around, you'll be the one woo, 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 kissing your dog or something. Like that. Isn't that what you do for New Year's? You kiss somebody. You, you do that. So so this is what you do for you guys that are dating and stuff like that. Here's what you do. You just make sure you're standing really close when New Year's happen. Don't be the goof on the other side of the room like ah running across the room and she's kissing some other dude. That's your fault. So. So you gotta you gotta think ahead on those kind of things. So how many of you will not be up at midnight? You will already be in bed asleep by that time. I don't care what New Year. In, when 1999 came to um, 2000, I broke Prince's rule and I did not party like it was 1999. I went to bed at 10 o'clock. New Year's, New York City, ball drop. I'm done. That's all I need. It's the New Year, and I went to bed. So everybody's different with this. Here's some things that happen with natural transitions. From one year to the next is a natural transition time frame. And transitions are good. There's a lot of statistics that we look at um, in, in the church world, and a lot of statistics in general. Business looks a lot of different things. Uh, one of the, one of the uh, a solid um, statistic for churches is when somebody is in a natural life transition, they're, they're more apt to make a life-changing decision in that transitional time frame. Uh, so one of the things that happens is when somebody moves into the community, they're more a to a new community, they're more apt to go to church. 
Even if they were not going to church ahead of time, they're more apt to go to church when they move into a new community because there's transition, there's change. And change can, can cause you to think about things. Somebody moves in, they don't know too many people, and they think, you know what, we really need to get back and serve God and do these things. It's a natural transition. Uh, another natural transition when it comes to serving God is when um, young families have children. Because all of a sudden, uh, maturity hits them square in the face in a way that has not happened before, right? Responsibility. All these kind of things that before, there's, you know, there's two people hanging out, just enjoying life. And all of a sudden now there's a little human that they're responsible for. And so they start thinking about things like spirituality and God, and they want this child to know who God is and those kind of things. And so a lot of natural kind of transitions. Into the year is a natural transition time frame. We all, we all have a little bit of uh, nostalgia. We have a looking backwards, looking forward. You, you look back over the years, a lot of things that have happened this year, some, some horrible things, some uh, great things that have happened in all of our lives in different ways. Uh, some of you experienced things this last year you never experienced good and bad. And so you, you're processing, you're looking forward, getting a little nostalgic. There's many people in this room that, that uh, you lost some loved ones this, this last year. So you're processing, you're looking forward to this next year. What does this look like? And so in the, in the process of thinking through some of these things, it's, it's a nice time to, to make some decisions. There's a nice transition. Now, a lot of times what we do is we make decisions like I'm going to lose weight, get in shape, all that kind of stuff, right? And those are good. Those aren't bad. Um, depending on how much you really want that determines whether or not that's going to happen, okay? It's not, it's not near as biological as sometimes as we blame, <laughs> right? Uh, there's, there's decisions that we make. <clears throat> I can prove this. People ask this all the time. Well, it's not that easy to lose weight. You know, I got this issue and I got, you know, and I, okay, I can guarantee you, stop eating. Just don't eat. Go like three weeks. Don't eat, and I promise you will lose weight. <clears throat> you may not make it through that three weeks, but you will be thinner when you die. So, so it's, there's just choices, right? There's just choices. All of us make choices, and there's some natural transitions. Well, here's some things that we're going to be looking at coming up through this following year. We're going to be a lot more intentional. When I say we, there's a lot more we involved with this than I uh, have done since I've been at Briargate. And the we is uh, our pastors are helping us. We're all working together to develop direction and, and be very intentional about sermons and, and teaching times and even incorporating some youth and, and children, uh, all church things together. And we're looking at very intentional, specific uh, subjects that we want to try to approach and how we're going to approach those. And, and, uh, and, we, and we've got a lot of fun stuff on the, on the horizon, but it's, it's to, get a, to get us to a place. Some things that we really need to process and we need to think through. We need to understand, okay, God, what are you saying to me? How are we doing this? And part of this is because just in a general sense, let's just look at uh, like society and stuff like that. Uh, things are changing around us very quickly. And there, there's coming a place where Christians have to, to make decisions that are much more uh, intentional than I think maybe, maybe we had a luxury. We didn't have to do that necessarily. I think to our detriment, by the way, um, 20, 30 years ago. There wasn't, there wasn't such strong lines. I remember growing up, there wasn't such strong lines in the sand. You know, everybody just kind of got along. All religions kind of just hung out and did it. And nobody really cared what the other guys were doing, all that kind of stuff. I mean, we, we, we talked about them, but, you know, we didn't really care. In fact, we did more talking in Christianity than anything. I remember growing up, this was a big deal. Uh, we were very, uh, we were very uh, irritated as Pentecostals because we always went longer in services than the Baptists did, which means they got to the buffet sooner. So we assumed, we assumed that they weren't really Christians because they didn't go as long as us. They didn't love Jesus as much as us, that kind of thing. 
And, but, but there wasn't this vitriol. There was, you know, I remember having neighbors that were Buddhists, and nobody cared whether they were Buddhists, and they didn't care whether they were Christians. Nowadays, it's not the case. Society has done a very good job of, of, of uh, making people attack each other. We, this is a societal thing. We're all attacking each other. So what's happening now, and I, and I believe this part of it actually is positive. Christians are having to decide, do I really believe this? Do I not believe this? Do I believe Jesus is real? Do I not? Am I willing to live for him? Am I all in? Am I not? That kind of thing. And so that's what I want us to look at and kind of focus on um, a, a few aspects of that as, as we approach the new year. And then I'm going to be bringing some of these things up with specific details uh, throughout this coming year. But Matthew chapter 1 Verse 18, we're going to go back to the uh, Christmas story and, uh, and look at something that, that I think we all kind of know it process, but I want us to, to focus in on it. In, in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, the angels had already come to Mary. In fact, they'd already come to Elizabeth and um, John. No, yes. Zacharias, yeah. Elizabeth, you know, John's mom and dad. And uh, told them he was going to have John. And then, they, and then the angel comes to Mary and says, Mary, you're going to have a baby and all this kind of stuff. And then we see uh, in verse 18, this is where we come to this. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother, Mary, was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her fiancé, didn't believe her. He was a good man. I just put that in there, but it's true. He was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly, which means he didn't believe her. Now, that's fairly important uh, for us as we push into this this morning. Joseph did not believe her. She comes to him and says, I'm pregnant, but don't worry, I haven't had sex with anybody. And he should have been, because all guys that truly love their women would say, it's okay, I believe you. <laughs> verse 21. <clears throat> now, verse 20. As he considered this, as Joseph thought through getting rid of her, because he didn't believe her, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife. For the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, this is, this is an interesting thing. There's a lot of choices that happen here that we haven't really th thought about. We don't, we, don't, you know, we don't process it. This is one of the things that Christians, we, it's, this is not a bad thing, but this is what we do. We know, we know the end of the story, and so we, we know the, the, the details, but the details don't, don't uh, disseminate uh, separately. They, they come together as a, as a collective group with the end of the story in mind. And, and what happens is we, we lose people, we lose relationship, we lose thought process, we lose some of that kind of stuff. Now, I, I strongly do not believe in something called predestination. This is something that some parts of, of, uh, of, um, of uh, Western Christianity, well, all over the world, have, and it's, and it's birthed out of something called Calvinism. And I'm not a Calvinist, I'm, I'm the opposite. I'm an Arminius, which is Calvin's student that disagreed with everything Calvin said. And so... I, I don't believe in Calvinism. Calvinism has certain things that, are, that I, I struggle with, that Jesus died for only some people. I don't believe that. I believe Jesus died for everyone. Well, here's one that's, that's part of Calvinism, and it's uh, very heavy within like uh, Presbyterian and things like that, is uh, predestination. That it's going to happen no matter what. 
This is the way it's going to be, and you are just swept along. You don't have any choice. You can't do anything about it. You're just swept along, and this is what's going to happen, and you're, you're an innocent victim of God's plan and his will. Okay? That's not the way they would describe it. But um, I, I don't believe in predestination. I believe the Bible is, is com- from, from beginning to end, every single story is about choice. Every story is about free will and choice, and you make the decision. You decide what you're going to do today. You decide how you're going to think, how you're going to approach God or not, all these different kind of things. Well, here's something that maybe you haven't thought about when it comes to this. Joseph does not believe the story that Mary comes and tells him. She came and told him the whole angel talked to me and all this other kind of stuff. There's no way she wouldn't have. She wasn't going to leave that, that out of the story and just say, oh, by the way, I'm pregnant. And he says, how'd this happen? Oh, no. She definitely said, angel came and told me, God did this, all this kind of stuff. And then Joseph does not believe her. He made a choice, and he does not believe her. And finally, uh, an angel says, okay, um, I got this. We'll have to go tell Joseph. Joseph had the opportunity to believe Mary, but he chose not to. And so uh, God sends an angel, and an angel says, Joseph, wait, by the second, wait, uh, Mary's telling the truth. And so Joseph's like, okay, but here's something you might not have thought about. The angel didn't go to everybody else. The angel didn't go to her best friend. The angel didn't go to her mama. The angel didn't go to her daddy. I think that probably would have been a big one. Um, The angel doesn't do this. The angel goes to Mary. The angel goes to Joseph, and that's it for Jesus. That's it. Now they have to make a decision. Do I believe this or do I not believe this? Joseph finally gets on board, but an angel had to convince him, which is, which is pretty convincing, right? When, when you're being convinced of something, if an angel steps in and says, okay, by the way, here's the story, you have a tendency to believe it a little bit more. So Joseph makes a decision. Now let's back up one more thing and let's look at it like this. I, I wonder what choices and how, how Mary was processing this choice. See, I do not believe that the angel said, Mary... God's going to give you a baby whether you want it or not. God's got a plan for your life and a will for your life, and you're going to do this no matter what. I don't believe that. That's predestination, and I don't believe that. So when God comes to Mary and says, Mary, this is what we're going to do. Since the angel tells Mary, she has to make a choice. Am I, am I in with this or am I not? Am I okay with this or am I not? And there's so many stories that show um, that that we make choice. What about the rich young ruler? Jesus comes to him. He's got a great plan. I mentioned this a couple weeks ago in the message. What if the rich young ruler would have said, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. He would have sold sold everything and followed Jesus. How many times would he potentially have been mentioned in the Gospels or or in the uh, uh, epistles or the book of Acts or something after that because this, this guy followed Jesus amazingly? He may never have been mentioned. But he could have been, and it could have been some pretty amazing stuff this guy does. But instead, he chooses, no, I'm not interested, and I'm going to walk away. And and Jesus was sad by that. Okay? So what about Mary? Now, let me say something that's going to sound very uh, heretical, and I don't necessarily believe that it happened, but I think it was possible. Okay? That's, That's as far as I'll go. I think it's possible, but I want you to think about this. God comes to Mary and says, Mary, this is what we're going to do. And Mary has a choice. She has to choose whether or not she's going to embrace God's plan for her. So here's the thing. Since she has the choice and she could have said no, 
Is there the possibility that God went to someone else first and she said no? Are you following my thinking here? You say, oh, it's not the way God, you know, Mary, she didn't do this. Stop talking about this. You know, that's that kind of thing, right? But here, here's what I know for me personally. There have been times when God has said, Scott, I want you to do this. I need you to do this. And, and God has this way of invading our life. See, when Jesus, in, in John 1.14, it says that Jesus comes and takes on human flesh so that we could see God, so we could see the glory of God. And he makes this decision that I'm going to step into human flesh, and he's all in, and he plays this out. When he does this, he invades humanity in a way that, that had not happened since the fall. God steps into the middle of humanity and invades humanity. And this is one of the things I've found about God over the years. I know for me personally, and I've just seen it in too many other people's lives, God has no problem whatsoever stepping into the middle of your life and raising the bar beyond what you think you're capable of accomplishing. And he can step into your world and say, okay, I need you to do this. And you're like, what is it? Go get a cup of water. I'm, I'm all in. I can do that. And God says, no, Mary, I want you to have a baby, even though you've never been with a guy. And I'm not going to tell everybody. You're just going to have to deal with it. Are you okay with that? See, God is okay with those kind of things. And I know sometimes we build a Christianity that says that if we're, if we're uncomfortable or we're doing without or whatever, then somehow God's not involved. And I think it's actually the opposite most of the time. That God steps into the middle of your world and he says, I'm going to mess everything up, but I have a specific reason and plan for doing it. I'm going to do some pretty good stuff for you, but you've got to be willing to go with me down this journey. And it's going to be difficult, and I'm going to mess some stuff up bad. But if you're willing... We're going to do some pretty amazing things. The world can and will be changed. I'm saying the world can and will be changed because of you. But you've got to be willing to say, okay, God, let's do this. And guys, that's where we struggle. That's where we, get, that's where we hesitate. And again, it comes back to this. I, I mention this regularly. The, the most difficult thing that we struggle with in American Christianity is casual Christianity. Keep it casual. Keep it topical. Don't really go all in. Don't really be fanatical. Just, just enough Christianity to make us comfortable with maybe our eternity or our relationships or something, but not all in. We, 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 we want to keep it a little bit of arm's distance. And Jesus steps in and says, when, when you're following me, it's all. There's an all kind of thinking going on. <clears throat> In 2 Kings chapter 4, and this is where we come to, and as we come to the end of 2018 and go into 2019, it's a natural transition. We can make some decisions. We can look back over this last year and say, wait a second, I really dropped the ball in some ways, and I don't want to do that again. I did great in these areas, and I didn't do good here, and, and I really want to push forward. But I'm not necessarily talking about as much. There are work things and relationship things, marriage, all this other kind of stuff. But I'm talking more about um, the, the, the spiritual direction that we're going. I think we know this in our head, but it's just so difficult to come out into real life is that really everything in life is about God. Everything. Every, every breath we breathe is about God. Every heartbeat we have is about God. But we don't see it that way. We don't think about it that way, and we don't live that way oftentimes. We live very nominal, very casual. It, it's, it's a... Um, it's a weird thing that happens in Western society that doesn't happen in, in Christianity and a lot of other places. Very casual, very nominal. 
And so for us to say, can I make a decision to say, I'm going to be all in? What does that look like for this coming year? You can, every one of us are different here. You could easily sit down and come up with three or four major things that you could say, this needs to be different this year. When it comes to spiritual, spiritual walk, prayer, um, resources, time, energy, money, those kind of things. What, what, am I all in or am I not? Does Jesus know that I'm all in or, or am I not? In 2 Kings, this, this story is, is one of the more bizarre uh, stories in the Bible. And there's a lot of bizarre ones in the Bible. And so for it to make, at least in my head, makes it pretty, pretty close to the top of the list. In 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 17, Elijah had prophet, Elisha had prophesied uh, to this woman that she was going to have a child. Um, one year from that day, she was going to give birth. Okay? Verse 17, but sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. One day, when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working with the harvesters. Suddenly, he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. His father said to one of the servants, carry him home to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. It's amazing how so much can be included in one little sentence, right? She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and then shut the door and left him there. Now, this is an interesting thing that she does. Um, in her house, she built a room for Elisha. He would travel through. He would come through regularly. She built a room just for Elisha so that when he was through that area, he would come and stay in their house, and he had his own room. This was not the little boy's room. This was Elisha's room. But when he dies, she takes him and puts him in Elisha's bed. Uh, for obvious spiritual reasons. She's, she's, this kid was promised to her by Elisha, prophesied to her. She's connecting with that, and she saw Elisha do a lot of miracles, a lot of things. And so she goes and says, okay, this is Elisha's uh, responsibility now. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hand this over to Elisha. Okay? She sent uh, a message to her husband. Send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can carry... So I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today, he asked, which I don't think he told, she told him what, why she was leaving. I don't think she's, because he's asking, why are you going? What, what does it matter that you're going to the man of God? It's not a religious time frame. It's not this festival. It's not any of these. Why are you visiting the man of God? Which tells me that she didn't tell him, your child is laying upstairs in the room dead. Or he would have said, yes, go to Elisha. He couldn't understand why she was wanting to go. And, um, <clears throat> but why go today? It's neither a new moon festival nor a Sabbath, but she said, it'll be all right. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. As she approached the man of God at, Mar at Mount Carmel, Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, that's his servant. Look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, your husband and your child? Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. Not true. She doesn't want to deal with the receptionist. <laughs> right? She's, she gets the phone. She's pushing zero, 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 zero. I don't want to talk to a zero, zero, right? Run out to, to uh, yes, she said, everything is fine. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She's deeply troubled, but the Lord has not told me what it is. I think that's kind of a cool statement because Elisha is used to God telling him stuff like that. 
Do, do you see a disconnect between the kind of Christianity we have for the most part and what Elisha is talking about here? When she walks up to him, he says, wait a second, God hasn't told me what she's here for. Like, that's normal. I would love to have that. Wouldn't that be nice? Every time somebody comes, before they get 10 feet from you, you already know what they're there for. So you can take off, you can run away, you can do whatever you need to do. Maybe that's why I don't, okay, so. <laughs> then she said, did I, ask, did I ask you for a son, my Lord, and didn't I say don't deceive me and get my hopes up? That's all she says to him. She doesn't say my child is dead. That's all she says to Elisha. But immediately Elisha knows what she's saying because he knows she had a child. And he knows that was fulfillment of the prophecy that he told her she was going to have a child. So now she's saying, you got my hopes up for nothing. He knows that must mean the child died. Right? Okay. Now here is an interesting thing that happens. And this is where it is such a deviation from from um, modern-day, normal church thinking. Now, I will say, I can go back into my life far enough. When I was a child growing up in, in uh, Pentecostal churches in Texas, the thinking was much more like Elisha was about to do. But the church, for the most part, even the Pentecostal church, doesn't have that same thing to it nowadays. It does some, but not like we should kind of thinking. All right? This is what Elisha... So she comes and says, my child's dead. What would we do today? We would begin to console her. Come here. Bring it in. Let's hug. I know you're hurting. I know this is difficult. Let's, uh, can we get you some meals? You know, that's what, this is what we're, we would be looking at this in American church mentality. And I'm not, I'm not trying to be overly critical of that. You guys, we're missing something. Elisha, this is what Elisha does. He says to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Why are you traveling? The boy's dead. Why are you traveling? Because Elisha says, that's an irrelevant detail. I know God. Get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother says, like a good mother should, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. And I think there's a little parentheses, her tone, her eyes, whatever, saying we can do this the easy way. <laughs> right? So Elisha returned with her. Gehazi hurried on ahead, laid the staff on the child's face, but nothing happened. There was no sign of life. He returned to meet Elisha and told him the child is still dead. Now, this has been a long time from this. has been at least a day. Travel, servant gets here First, does this, comes back out and meets them, then they get up there. This has been at least a day, and I think it's probably been a little bit longer because the body's uh, very cold by now, okay? When Elisha arrived, the child was indeed dead, lying there on the prophet's bed. He went in alone and shut the door behind him and prayed to the Lord. Now, I think it's very important that he went in alone. This is the same feel to it when Jesus goes to the little girl that, that is dead, and he goes in the room and kicks the rest of the family out and says, you guys come in here with me, but the rest of the everybody else out. This is an important thing when it comes to your spiritual walk because sometimes you really are by yourself when it comes to the way you're thinking and how you're pursuing God. And not everybody is going to be wanting to pursue God with you in the same way, in the same intensity. 
And sometimes you've got to separate yourself and you've got to say, okay, everybody that's not with me on this, you've got to step away because this is between me and God right here. And this is why Elisha does this. He kicks everybody else out because he doesn't need any distractions from any person or, or i.e. any kind of Satan influence here that says this can't happen. He kicks everybody else out. And it's just him and the boy. And then he does some weird, bizarre stuff. <clears throat> then he laid down on the child's body, placing his mouth on the child's mouth and his eyes on the child's eyes and his hands on the child's hands. And he stretched out on him. The child's body began to grow warm again, which means it was cold. This is a cold, dead body. And Elisha crawls up on top of him and says, Nope, we got a different plan because I know God. And, and, and this it doesn't make sense. I've, I've read all kinds of commentaries as to why he did this, eyes to eyes, mouth to mouth, all this kind of stuff. Why he did this, that somehow, you know, the anointing of God, the spirit of God is going to flow from him to this child or whatever the case is. And, and all of the different versions of things, of ideas, of, it doesn't actually say it, and so those are, are speculations. We don't know for sure why Elisha did this exact thing. You can come up with different ideas. We don't know for sure. But I do know this. If I'm standing in that room, that's creepy. That I do know. It doesn't make sense. How is this going to heal this child? We wouldn't do this in our modern American church. We would anoint him with oil or something like that. But, but if somebody starts crawling up on top of the dead body, you're like, okay, this is a little too far. We're removing you from the premises. But Elisha knew God had spoke to his spirit, and there was nothing that was going to change this moment. He was all in. All in. When you crawl up on top of the dead body, you are all in. Continues on. <clears throat> The body began to grow warm. Elisha got up, walked back and forth across the room once, and then stretched himself out again on the child. This time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elijah summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother. And when she came in, Elisha said, here, take your son. Like this just happens all the time. Here's your son. Guys, this is, there are so many elements of this story that should get deep into our spirit, get under our skin, make us, make us convict us, make us process, make us think about things. When we come across stuff, situations, things, work, relationships, all kinds of stuff, not near to the gravity of somebody dying, but what is our choices? What do we choose? This is, this is one of the reasons that we talk to our prayer partners up here when they're praying for people. This, this is like one of the biggest no-nos you can do um, here at Church of Briargate. If somebody comes up to you, to you as a prayer partner and they say, um, I found out that uh, I have cancer, you do not pray. And, and I'm, I'm saying this, Adam, and I'm not trying to be a jerk about this, but if I find out you're praying this, I'll ask you not to be a prayer partner. You do not pray, God, help them die peacefully. God, help them just deal with it. Carry them through this. Now we say, well, I would never pray it like that, but we pray that stuff all the time. We pray it passively. We don't say, God, heal them. We start saying things like, God, if you like to heal and you choose to heal, and maybe if that's something you could get around to like this year or something, 
maybe healing would be a great idea possibly. Instead of saying, wait a second, I know a God that can change anything instantaneously. And we pray top shelf, God heal them completely, 100% heal them. We're not settling for anything less. If you're going to settle for less, why pray? Why pray? Don't, don't just pray God help them go easy. You can do that with meals. You can do that with pillows. But if we want to see the God of the universe transform a person in a moment, you pray God do the, do the most difficult thing. Kill them. Set them free from the junk that's trying to destroy their existence right now. Heal them. That's an all-in thinking. That's an all-in mentality. Is God big enough or not? That's where we have to come to, to process. Can he do this or not? Does he want to do this or not? Sometimes we got to convince ourselves something that God's trying to convince us. That he wants to. That he does. It's who he is. It's what he can do. Let's let him be amazing. See, when Elisha looks at this moment, he doesn't look at a way that he can just um, be comforting and, and uh, help him through. He says, I know God. God's way bigger than this. So I want to show you a little. You know what? I'm going to skip the video. I like to hear me talk more than I want to. No, I want us to be able to pray for this. So, so let's skip the video. Basically, it was a video of, um, of a... Of a preacher that, that uh, talked to some guys. It was in the early 70s, a town that was consumed with prejudice and all this other kind of stuff. And, uh, and they're fighting, and he talks to the football team. He comes and witnesses to the football team, preaches to them, and the entire football team gets saved. And this is a true story. The, the, the movie is Woodlawn. And he witnesses to the football team, they all get saved, and it spreads through this whole school, spreads through this whole town because somebody made a choice. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to push that choice, and they made that choice and, and literally an entire town is consumed with the gospel. So, so let me tell you, when I, I saw this uh, version of this happen, my own self. Um, we were youth pastors. This was in the mid-90s. And um, we were youth pastors in Texas. And we had the, there was a family in the church that had three daughters. And uh, the oldest daughter was, was a senior the year that I'm talking about. She was a senior. She had a boyfriend. They were good Christian uh, kids. The, um, the younger daughter was a freshman freshman girl, because daughter, and so uh, she, very shy, one of the more shy girls I, I had ever met. She walks in the church, and you say hi to her, and she just puts her head down, nods, and smiles, walks out. She, she, she just really, it made her so very uncomfortable to connect and talk and communicate and all that kind of stuff, just very, very shy, very, very introverted and all this kind of stuff, and we had really been talking a lot about how um, Jesus wants to change people's lives, and we had been going out on the streets and doing witnessing and all this kind of stuff. And, and she gets this, um, this conviction deep in her spirit. In fact, she, I don't think, as best I remember, I don't think she came and talked to me ahead of time about this. But first day of school, there's about six or seven schools in that area. And so first day of school, we, we're going to start doing uh, prayer at the pole, and uh, the flagpole. And so we go to this school first, and we, we pray with her, her sister, her sister's boyfriend, that's it, nobody else. Uh, came out to the pole and we prayed, and uh, they kept doing it every single day, every single day, and I'd come back every week, once a week or so, and, and I'd just go around to the schools. And so this began to take off, and she really started getting convicted about telling her friends about Jesus, and so she began to do that. Very, very shy girl, couldn't even hardly have a conversation, began to witness to her friends. Some of her friends started getting saved. 
started witnessing to the teachers. Some of the teachers started getting saved. She witnessed to the principal. principal got saved. Starts witnessing to all these different groups. Pretty soon, within a month or so uh, into the school year, the um, principal was calling her down to the office in the mornings so she could do a devotion over the announcements for the whole school and pray over the entire high school. At the, by the end of the school year, most of this school had got saved. At the graduation, we're at the graduation, and, I, and the principal had called ahead of time and said, and asked us if we were going to be at the graduation, and said, yeah, we're going to be there. At the graduation, the principal makes a remark. Now, this is the part that, that bothered me a little bit, but the principal makes the remark. He said, I want to thank this girl. He said, and he begins to tell the story. And this is, this is like over the microphone at the graduation, talking about all these teachers that got saved. And they would have the hands raised. All these teachers raised their hands that got saved. Administration raised their hands. Students that raised their hand that got saved that year. This is at a graduation. You, you, you guys know that that's not allowed to happen. And then he says, and I want to thank Scott, her youth pastor, for um, somehow helping her do this or, or teaching her the right way or something like that. And it really bothered me because I thought to myself, how many teenagers, by that time we'd already been youth pastors for quite a few years, how many teenagers I had said these things to? How many adults had I had said this stuff to? Not everybody was out doing this. I, I contributed, but a tiny, tiny little bit. This girl made a decision. She made a choice in her heart and said, Jesus, I'm all in. Regardless of what anybody thinks about me, I am all in. And a school was transformed by this tiny little shy girl. Because she chose. She made the decision. This, this, is, this is what I have found over the years. Every one of us here are all in for something. Every one of us. Every one of us are all in time-wise for something. We're all in money-wise for something. Not people say, yeah, the groceries. Um, not really that easy, right? You know, what I say? you know what I'm saying? We have money for the things that we want to do. We have time for the things that we want to do. We have energy for the things we want to do. We're all in for the things that we want to be all in about. And everything else, we just don't. That's how simple it is. We just aren't all in with those things. I try to explain that to people sometimes. I, hey, do you like to do this? You want to do this? And I think to myself, nope, I don't want to do that. I remember the first time my wife really got caught up in bowling. And I thought to myself, I'm not all in. I'm not interested. She was on a bowling league. She did all this stuff. And I, I did send her off, buy her a bowling ball. Hey, see you later, honey. I did not have a desire to bowl. Doesn't make me a bad person. Just not interested. That's okay. But here's what, here's what happens. And this starts scripturally. This starts a long, long time ago. Where Satan's goal is to always be pushing God out of the picture and pushing something else in the picture for all of us. In fact, I believe this starts when we see in scripture where Lucifer is one of the archangels, and he's standing before God, and, and all the angels are worshiping God. And this is the way I see it. I don't know. I don't, obviously, it probably didn't happen this way, but this is the visual picture that I get. Is, is God's here. Lucifer's looking at God. All the angels are back there behind Lucifer, and they're worshiping God and all this kind of stuff. And, and for, for a moment, Lucifer turns around and catches the view of what it is to be worshiped. He gets a picture 
of bazillions of angels worshiping God. And it catches him. It catches in his spirit. It catches in his heart. Gets a hold of him somehow, his brain or whatever angels have in them. And, he, and it catches on to him. And he starts turning back and looking more and more. And then he realizes what it would be like to have them worshiping him, what that would feel like. and what that. So he begins, God's here, and he begins to kind of ease in front of them and, and starting to kind of block out God a little bit. And we know that he's successful up to the point of a third of the angels. Take their eyes off of God enough and look at Lucifer to the point where he becomes the focus of attention. And that's exactly what he's trying to do with all of us. And he does it every single day. The difference is, is he doesn't necessarily want us to see him. He wants us to see all the stuff. And so when he's easing between God and humanity, when he's easing in there, all he wants to do is to take our attention off of God enough to place it on anything else. Work settings, financial stuff, relationships, anything. If I can take their eyes off of God long enough, I can get their eyes fastened on something else. And I don't think it's a salvation issue at that point, but it will lead to that. I get their eyes off of God long enough, I can get their eyes fastened on something else, and I can control this. And guys, that's what we in America struggle with in our Christianity, is just casualness. Just getting our eyes averted just enough, just enough, and then Satan just keeps moving the dynamic so their eyes are moved and moved and moved, and pretty soon God's over here, and we're headed this direction, and we don't know how it happened. And all Satan is doing is just saying, just pay attention to something besides God. Don't be all in. Pay attention to me. We don't know it's him. He's saying, pay attention. Just be, you don't have to be, you don't have to be that churchy. You don't have to be that religious-y. You don't have to be that. Prayer is not all that it's cracked up to be. You don't have to, you don't have to do all that kind of stuff. It's, it's, it's just the fanatics that do that stuff. Just, just focus on something else. Okay, this, is, this is what I'm, I'm going to propose for, to us, for us. I'm doing this myself, and I wasn't even going to mention it for a couple of weeks, but, but I, I think many of you are at the same place probably that I am with this. There's some things that God's really been working on me about over the last six months or so. Just, it's actually been longer than that. Some, some mentality, some attitude, some direction, some, um, some uh, heart attention toward things, stuff like that, um, th- that I am recognizing that as long as I try to change these things by myself, it's never going to happen. My, my, the older I get, the more my flesh is strong. You know what I'm saying? I, I, it just becomes more and more difficult to, to, to make major changes. I don't even want to most of the time. I know in my head I do, but not deeply in my spirit. And so to me, the only way, maybe you can come up with another one, but for me, the only way that this can truly happen is if I really do some fasting and praying and break down the walls, break down the crust that builds up in my mind and my spirit and really do some extensive prayer time, stuff like that. Maybe, maybe fasting from some um, social media. Somebody like, you're going too far. Maybe just back away from social media. I know this sounds crazy, but you don't necessarily have to know what your next door neighbor's breakfast looks like. Maybe you could spend that 
valuable two minutes of your life, praying. Just push some things off. Push some things to the side and say, you know what? I'm going to fast from some of these things, some fast from some food, fast from some, some stuff, energies, times, all this kind of stuff, TV, something like that, and say, God, I'm just going to get in with you because I need to do some changing, and my flesh is too strong to do it by myself, and I need your help. And then let him change. Let him change your thinking. Let him change your heart, your attitude. Break your spirit before him so you become sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You become sensitive to the things of God. And then say, okay, God, what do you want to do this year? What do you want to do with me? What do you want to do with my marriage? And when you say that, that doesn't mean what do you want to do with my spouse. You know that, right? That means what do you want to do with me? Here's a good, here's a good mindset. Some of you are going to, your hair is going to raise up when I say this. Here's a good mindset. Go into praying like this. God, I know my spouse is perfect, so just work on me. You're like, I don't think you've met my spouse. I, isn't that the way God approaches it in Ephesians? He presents as perfect. Try that. Say, God, I want you to do some changing on me. Change my spiritual walk, my prayer time, my, my getting in your word. I need you. I need to pursue you. Guys, why don't you stand with me? So we have the opportunity to say, Lord, I'm putting my eyes on you. There's so much stuff, so many things that, that distract us so easily. I mean, it's, it's endless, all the things that can pull our eyes away from the Lord. And it's not that we hate Jesus. It's just that we're just not passionate about him like we used to be. Or that we maybe never been. You're recognizing, wait a second, I see other people seem to be more passionate about Jesus. They're making decisions. They're making conscious decisions. Do that. And so for us to look at this, God, I need to be all in. Why don't you bow your head with me? Lord, we, we come before you knowing that you, you, you're pulling every one of us toward this. You're pulling every one of us in this building towards you. Jesus, you love us so much. You've got such a big plan. You're so full of grace. You're so full of, uh, of mercy. Jesus, you've got such a big plan. God, when history is written about my life, I want it to look more like the obedience of Mary and not the disobedience of the rich young ruler. I want to make the decisions, regardless of how hard or difficult they are, I want to make the decisions to follow you completely. I want to be all in. Lord, I want to be all in in at the church of Briargate. Lord, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to phone it in. I want to be all in with you. Jesus, I need you. Lord, I know that every single one of us in here, we need you so much more than we even know. We need you. We need your will. It is the best option. We need your will. We need your plans. And so, God, I ask for me, and I, and I, I pray that every one of us in here could say the same thing. Lord, I pray for me that you would invade my life, that you would invade my life with your spirit and your plan and your will. God, help me not to resist. Help me not to push you away. Help me respond. Help me respond in Jesus' name. God, I pray for every one of us here. Get in their heads right now. Holy Spirit, get in their world. Convict, push around, change things, shake it up, and push us.
We need you. We need you. Our lives need you. Our workplaces need you. Our marriages need you. Our families need you. Jesus. So God, we we look toward 2019 with a repentant heart, an expectant heart, an open heart that says we want your plan. Do big stuff. Do big stuff in Jesus' name. Let me leave you with this. This is a suggestion. I would say make some notes about this quick. Do something while your spirit and your brain are thinking the same direction. Get your phone out. Make some notes. This is some things that I need to do. There's some things I need to change. There's some things the Holy Spirit's speaking to me right now. Make some notes. Before you go to bed tonight, make make a plan. Come up with some kind of at least limited plan that says, this is what I'm going to do starting tomorrow. Now, don't, don't make it building the Taj Mahal in one day, right? I'm going to get up at 4 in the morning and pray for five hours. I'm gonna, you know, be sensible, but don't be a wimp about it. Make some plans. Put them down on paper. Talk to somebody. Talk to a partner, a spouse, a friend, a, a, a sibling. Talk to somebody and say, I need some help. Ask me about this. I think God can do some pretty amazing things. I know he can. So before noon tomorrow, God's going to give you the opportunity. Let somebody know that Jesus loves them. Tell them about Jesus. Tell them God will honor that in your life. It's a guarantee. So shake somebody's hand. Tell them Happy New Year, whether you're going to go to bed at 10 o'clock or 2 in the morning. And uh, we'll see you guys next Sunday. Have a great rest of your week. Yeah.
from